Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, I am so beyond excited to welcome one of my dearest friend, Wendy, to join us to this special interview. Wendy is the coolest person I know. A first generation of Asian American, she experienced firsthand how education can ultimately become the equalizer in anyone's lives. She spent six years traveling the whole world, across Asia, Europe, and Africa. She firsthand witnessing the gender equality, especially when it comes to education. So she dedicated her time to volunteer and mentor young girls from various nonprofit organization in Asia. After earthquake happened in Nepal, 2015, she founded Building Education in 2017 with a vision of helping others transforming the tragedy to pursue and raising out of poverty. With that, everybody, I am so beyond excited. Please join me to welcome Wendy to the show. All right, Wendy. Thank you so much for being on my show today. Oh, I'm so excited to be on your show, Wen. It's funny because,、um, you know, we met at the Business Capital and Exit Strategy Summit by Silicon Valley Podcast. But what was really funny was、um, I had researched every person that was a panelist that I was going to interview, and you were the one that stuck out to me the most. And I actually sent it over to. So there's this、um, other. Other、um, group that I'm part of, the Rotary Club of San Francisco, and we're always looking for inspiring females that are of、um, minority groups. And I actually sent them your profile, and I said, "This woman is amazing."、Um, so it's, I was、oh. thinking that as I was on my way here in the car, and I was like, "How serendipitous is it that I thought she was amazing, and then we instantly connected during you know the event, and now here we are doing this." You know, <laughs> it's a magical world. Yeah, very magical world. With that, Wendy,、mm-hmm. you know, I am so honored you're here, and、mm-hmm. I'm so beyond excited to dive into more about your story and how you come this、mm-hmm. moment.、Mm-hmm. So, tell us how the journey began for you. Sure. So, okay, I can start back during where everything I feel like is a pivotal moment in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where you sure, went? Sure.、Okay. Please. How do you grow up? So, so, as a young girl, so I am from a Um, first generation family that immigrated from China to the U.S.、Mm-hmm. and you know my parents and my father did it because they wanted a new, you know, opportunity, a future for for our family, and they really believed in education. And believe it or not, my father had never graduated beyond elementary school, so he knew the value and the importance of education. But very early on,、uh, I lost my mother when I was eight years old. And it was a huge, tremendous shift in my life. So, as you can imagine, you know, you go to school and you almost feel like you're a little bit less than all the kids, right? You have less opportunities, you have less guidance. So, I experienced very early on how education could really become like a leveling. Playing field for all kids, regardless of what it is. You know, whether you lost a parent, or whether you know you're sick, or whether you know whatever kind of tragedy happens to you, education is something that becomes an equalizer for all people in this world. What was the moment you realized that? Well, it took me some time. So when my mother first passed. It was a few things that I realized, and I think this is what really brought me onto my journey, because for an eight-year-old to contemplate what death is, 
it really gets you to think, what is the meaning of life? So I always like to say the two things that I really got out of that experience of losing my mother, I always say that my mother is still around and she's still teaching me lessons because I still contemplate her death to this day, even though now it's like 20, 20 years later, more than that. <laughs> um, but the first thing I learned was that, you know, one, life is really short and we don't know when we're going to die and people for, can forget you instantly, right? But the most important thing, what people will remember you by is the impact that you made in their lives, and more than that is you always want to leave the world a better place than you found it. You know, you want to leave this world knowing that you did something better for humanity and for this planet. Why is that important for you, Wendy? Um, hmm. I think it's important for me because I think that us as human beings, we are, we are meant to help and give and love people, Right. When I question what is the purpose of our existence, it really comes down to that. Like, why do we live? Why do we exist? Well, what are the most joyful experiences that we have with one another? It really is loving. It's supporting. It's giving. And when, when you are loving, giving, and supporting and helping other people, that continues to give back to yourself and give to other people. It grows and it grows and it grows, right? So when I ask myself, like, what is the reason for living, I can't imagine that it's anything more than being together and wanting to help one another. It's beautiful. And that's the real impact in this world, right? Because we always remember that. We remember that feeling. Do that you always we have. know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that you always knew why you're here yeah. since such a young age. So, back to your story what mm -hmm. happened um, after college? So I studied aviation. I wanted to do something very adventurous that most women will not do. Which is so unusual. Why mm -hmm. is that? You know, I don't really know. I think, you know, at a young age, um, even growing up in the U.S., we, we are a little bit more, um, we kind of, people categorize people, right? And we, even when I was growing up, I often thought, oh, it's not possible for women to fly planes. And even when I said that I wanted to learn how to fly a plane, I remember a lot of people in my social circle at the time, they were telling me that women can't fly planes. You know, it, it's funny how we grow up and we kind of put one another, put certain groups into boxes, and we put ourselves into boxes as well. Um, so for me, I really wanted to make a huge life change. I wanted to leave San Francisco. I wanted to start over. I really wanted to go back to school to university and get my education because I took a little bit of a break after high school. Um, I took about a one-year break, and I was like, you know what? I really want to continue my education. I want to do something that, you know, I think is not possible. I want to empower myself. So what is the most empowering thing that I could do, right, that would allow me to be more confident in myself? And that answer for me was learning how to fly a plane. Wow. Yeah. So how was that journey unfold for you? Um, Were you scary? It, it was terrifying. The first time I was ever in a plane, it's terrifying because you have to think, one, um, most of the time, you can't be a confident pilot going into a plane to fly it for the first time, right? It's, it's impossible. Anytime that anybody tries something new, 
you know, you're going to be a little bit nervous. So to think that you as a human being are completely in charge of a machine that is in the sky and if this breaks down, then you could possibly die. It's terrifying. It's not like a car. A car can break down and you can just pull up to the side of the road and get help, right? But if an airplane breaks down, you know, you have to do an emergency landing or even if like the engine shuts off, you know, there's so many different dynamics to it. So it was terrifying, but at the same time, it was very empowering as I got better and better in flying. Um, I think the second thing that my mother's death really taught me was that life is so short, right? And you never know when you're going to go. So if you want to do something, you have to take that risk and you have to take that jump and you have to go for it. There's no point in living a life of fear and not doing the things that you truly want and love. You know, you have to go for every single opportunity in life. You have to do every single thing that you ever dream of. Mm, I love that. Thank you. So now you got your Mm -hmm. aviation degree, right? Mm -hmm. Now you empower yourself. You're so much more confident. What's next for you? So I actually was doing so many things. Like as long as for, you know, the entire time growing up, I always worked like multiple jobs and went to school and everything like that. Um, when I finished school, I actually was recruited by a company um, and they brought me on. Um, it, it's kind of like a, a basically an aviation company that buys, sells and trades parts and they do teardowns on engines and such things like that. And so I worked as a jet engine specialist. Um, I was more on like the management side of things, not necessarily working with, you know, jet engines. And I loved it. Um, It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And to be honest, I didn't believe that I could be a female in this specific department, right? Jet engines, because it's very unheard of for me, females. It's technically like more of a position for an engineer, But they gave me this chance, and I really enjoyed it. But while I felt a lot smarter, I didn't feel like I was really fulfilling a purpose in life. I knew that I wanted to do more. I could imagine myself as a pilot because I felt like, okay, then essentially I'm going to be flying people back and forth. And I didn't feel like there was a real purpose of helping there. So going back to what I said earlier, like I really believe that we as human beings are here to help and love and give back to one another and make the world a better place. I just couldn't see how mm-hmm. I was making the world a better place by doing that specific position. Do you always have that notion throughout your adolescence? You know, I I think so. Like everything that I do, I, I want, it's always never, it's rarely ever for like, oh, this is because I want it. And then I know that if I'm thinking, oh, because I want to make money, because I want to do this, it's not the right thing for me. You know, and the reason why is because I'm naturally as a human being, I'm not a, not like super selfish. Um, I don't always think, what about me? What about me? I, I always think, you know, and then if I am that way, like if I'm thinking about myself and I'm only thinking about what I can obtain from that experience, then I usually know that it's probably because I'm not happy. Mm. Mm. And it's not really what I want. And it, uh, my needs are not fulfilled. Mm. And so I'm looking for other ways to fill it. Mm-hmm. You know? I love that you have such a clear intention in such a young age. Thank you. Thank you. I think my father was really kind and really giving. Um, and 
that's the one thing that he really taught me when I was growing up. You know, he, he was always working, you know, had to put food on the table. But his human, like his being was very giving and very considerate of others. So I think I picked that up <laughs> from him. Yeah, thank you. So now you mm-hmm. have this great job, but mm-hmm. you want more. Yeah. What happened next? So I started taking self-development courses, and um, that was huge for me. Like really discovering myself, that that journey of discovering yourself and what you really wanted. And I think us as human beings, especially um you know, I, I don't like to put minorities in it, but Asian Americans, we're always told to follow this specific path, right? And if we follow the specific path, it will lead to success. And then our parents are happy, and then our families are happy, and they're proud of us. And so I grew up with a lot of that, like wanting to please my family, make them proud, follow the steps that they wanted me to follow. And I really ignored what my internal guidance was telling me. And I think we all have an internal guidance. There's the mind and then there's the heart, right? There's what the mind tells us that we should do. And there's the heart that tells us what we truly want in life. And I realized that I was following everything that my head said, you know, and even as someone who was you know, working in jet engine with jet engines, you listen to the mind, right? It's all about logic. And we so often forget what our heart is truly telling us or we ignore it. And what my heart was telling me was that I wanted to travel. I wanted to explore. I wanted to see the world. And most of all, I wanted to work in female empowerment because I had gone through that. And even going through aviation school, I felt like I was, I, you know, went through a lot of woman empowerment um, courses because, you know, you, you kind of need that in a male-dominated field. So I decided to take a trip to India. I volunteered at a girls' orphanage, and I just completely fell in love with all the work that I was doing. It was my 28th birthday at that time. Wow. Yeah. And meeting the girls, their story was so incredible. You know, every single one of them had suffered, like, significant tragedies, um, living in sex brothels at the age of, like, 9 to 12 or under, Yeah, it was crazy. You know, some of them were like, you know, victims of human trafficking, like all types of things. Um, And when I heard about their stories and I saw how education had completely changed their life, the gratitude that they had for a new life and the gratitude that they have for having education, they didn't need anything else. They wanted to give me like every single one of their belongings. And they were just so grateful that education and this orphanage had saved them. And they had they had this opportunity to really becoming a contributing member of society. Oh. So, you know, it was on my 20th birthday and it also happened to be Diwali, which is like a Indian holiday. Yeah. 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 And that holiday is like the ho- the um the holiday of light over darkness. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it was like beautiful. It's beautiful. Like a new chance, new beginning and all these things. Um, And on that same day, I actually ended up going to Nepal. Um, And I went to Nepal on the same day, which is, you know, right above India. It's where Mount Everest is. Not a lot of people know where Nepal is. And I remember people telling me in Nepal is like India heaven. And it was. And it was. I really fell in love with the people then. Um, So that that trip was very remarkable for me. And when I returned back to the States, working in my job, I started to have these nightmares. And what I saw was, I didn't see any more growth for me there. Mm. While intellectually, and learning more about planes, and business and that and such um, could be further developed. 
I felt like I, as a person, had grown so much traveling. Like, mm-hmm. I discovered these parts of myself that I didn't know. And there's so much out there in the world that in the States we don't often hear about, right? I traveled um, with some travelers in Nepal, and they talked all about, like, world philosophy, religion, politics all over the world. And I was like, why don't we know this in the U.S.? Why aren't we taught these things, right? Why is it people in other countries know so much about the U.S.? But in U.S., the way that our system's kind of built and what the media shares, we don't really know that much about what goes on outside of the States. I mean, What is one thing that surprised you when you travel? Um, or one biggest learning? Oh, the biggest learning? Oh, that's so hard. Um, but the biggest learning that I had, I think, that day... Um, when I was sitting with a bunch of travelers in Nepal was that the world is a very big place and that I really knew nothing in it. And that was shocking to me because I love learning and I really wanted to learn more. And I was like, I can't believe there's so much about the world that I didn't know. Mm. So it was more like learning internally of all the things that I didn't know. It humbles us. It humbles us. And the funny thing is, when I was a jet engine specialist, we are taught to, you know, you kind of have a, have to have a confidence about you, right? And you think you you know everything. You're like, I, you have to kind of, you know, act like you know everything and then study and make sure you knew everything. So I thought that I knew that there all there was to life, which is, you know, what the U.S. teaches us is systems-style kind of learning, right? You go to school, you finish school, you go to work, you do well at work, then maybe you join a um, board, you know, of a nonprofit or something like that. You learn more on that. And I had followed that exactly. Mm. I had followed those steps, right? You know, regardless of whether I took a one-year break, I still followed those steps as society had told me Mm -hmm. to. And I felt like I should have it all, I should know it all, like I've done it, right? And there was just so much more to the world that I didn't realize. So yeah. it's the first time the world show you the new possibility. It's exactly. not just one path. There are so exactly. many more. Exactly. That there's so many more paths in, in, that you can take in, in life. And it, there's not one set path that leads you to this idea of success. So when I returned back to my work, my CEO pulled me aside. And he actually asked me, you know, how much money do you want to make? What title do you want? What position would you like? Um, And I thought about it, and I could not give him a straight answer. I was like, what is it that I want? And I was like, you know, I couldn't give him a money amount. I couldn't give him any position I wanted. And I explored for a few days. I was like, you know, maybe I'll be like, you know, what she does or what he does, you know, like VP of this and VP of that. And none of it sounded good to me. I just had no vision there. And for me, like, you you know, it's amazing that you caught it on, but very a lot of things that I do, I'm very intentional. And ultimately, it's that bigger vision that guides me. And I was like, I have no vision here. I was like, there's just no way I can stay here. So it was really kind of then when I decided, okay, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to sell all my things. And I'm really going to explore the world because there's so much more to the world that I don't know and life is not just about learning skill sets or learning about you know subjects and topics and expertises in like you know jet engines or airplanes or whatever it is right it also is about discovery of the world this planet the cultures religions and really discovering yourself because if you don't know yourself 
then it's really hard to really learn outside world as well. The world is only a reflection of who we are inside. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. So yep. that moment you decided to quit your job, mm-hmm. so everything was that a top choice, top decision for you, and especially coming from Asian, Asian American, mm-hmm. that background of culture. Do you? Mm-hmm. Is your criticism, is your doubt, is your hmm. how do you move through that if they are or not? So it's really interesting because I don't think the decision is tough after that, but trying to make the decision is, mm. right? Because trying to make the decision, you're like, oh, I'm going to go back and forth. Like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do mm-hmm. it? Should I not do it? Right? And that's what's tough mm. because we're actually suffering for those like Let's just say it takes us three days to make that decision for all three days. It actually is so much easier to just make a decision and mm-hmm. stick with it mm-hmm. rather than going back and forth on it. So I think the you know weighing my options part was challenging, mm-hmm. right? Because that is also a very logic based way. Here are my pros. Here are my cons. But what made you move right? forward? <laughs> How do you move forward? I just jumped. And it was really my internal guidance that told me that. Like, it's so silly because I don't like to sound like all woo-woo and spiritual. But, you know, and a lot of what I do is very logic-based. I do make decisions based on logic, like what's more efficient, what's more effective. But I do believe that sometimes we really do need to listen to that internal guidance. Like, my whole my whole thought process is, you know, following your heart and then working it out with your head. So creating the solutions to make it work with your, with your head, right? Like, you're head and your mind is meant to serve you it shouldn't be your master we all know that we've heard the quotes about it right the purpose in life is to listen to our heart what our heart wants and then whether it be you know you need more time energy resources that stuff you need to mm-hmm. figure it out your with your mind that's meant to serve you to create the solutions brilliant thank you love thank that you. people yeah. say our mind things mm-hmm. our hearts always know yeah, exactly. So exactly. with that, what happened next? You saw mm-hmm. everything. You made this ju- jump. You made this leap. Mm-hmm. What you up to next? You know, it was the most liberating decision once I made it. Um, so then I thought, okay, there's a few things I could do. I can either go back to India and revisit these amazing girls because I had went back and I fundraised for them. Um, and that was a very enjoyable experience. Uh, fundraising for them was so easy. And I was really shocked by how much money I could fundraise at that time, right? I never thought that, you know, we're told, you know, don't ask for money, right? It's such a, it's so shamed um, in society in general, right? Like, don't ask for money and everyone's afraid to ask for money and, and those types of things. Even as a fundraiser now, like, there's a huge taboo on asking for money. Why right? is that? I don't know. I think because people don't talk about money enough, to be honest. I think that money is such a, like, uh, thing that people don't really, really talk about it. Like, how much money do I have? How much money do I need? How can I make more money? Um, I think we talk about it with investing, but we never talk about it like, oh, this is my personal, like, money situation, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that is why, because nobody wants to seem as if, they're asking for money. It's like the same thing about sex. Like nobody really talks about sex. How many times do I have sex? You know, how much sex do I need? <laughs> Let me go ask for sex. It, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like it's just not a common talked about topic. That's um, an interesting parody. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. Um, so you decided mm-hmm. now to 
think about it, all the options.、Mm-hmm. There are amazing girls in India.、Mm-hmm. Now you explore the way to fundraising,、mm-hmm. supporting her.、Mm-hmm. Right. So what is what exactly decision did you make? So、um, I did go back to India for a month, and I brought over the money that I had fundraised、wow. for the girls' education,、um, and then I spent. About eight months in Thailand, and I taught English there because I thought, okay, what、Why、can do I do? Why do you leave India?、Um, I wanted to stay, but India is、um, a little bit of a tougher country to stay for a really long time for me personally. So, honestly speaking, I can probably stay in India for like a month to two months to three months. It's just that it's so、um, it's very intense country, and it's actually my favorite country. I love India. It's like my My love hate relationship with India, but I can only stay for so long,、um, just because it's it's very busy, it's very loud in Delhi, right? And that's the only place where I think most foreigners could possibly also work and live. I knew I needed to like make additional income as well, so I was like, okay, I can't stay in India,、um, but I do want to go to Thailand. And so I got my TESOL certification, and I taught English in a super rural village in Thailand, actually in this area called Uban Ratchathani, which is in the Golden Triangle、um, of you know Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand. Yeah, yeah very very rural,、um, and it, it was a beautiful beautiful experience. I taught like I think it was、um, middle school, like junior high school students. Oh my gosh, which was. Kind of the craziest age, if you really think about it. So going in and teaching、um, English to these kids who had no experience with English, basically, and for me, I knew nothing about speaking Thai. It was really an intense kind of experience. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't living in like Bangkok, right, where I had other foreigner friends or like places that I can go with other expats, and. I remember my、um, the Tesla cert- certification. The woman was like, "Well, you've been to India, and I can't send any of the other students to Uban because they're not going to survive. But if you've been to India, then I know for sure you can survive Uban Ratchathani." <laughs> so she sent me there, and it was a very extreme experience. Extreme,、yeah. what way?、Um, well, it's just there's not really any city life. It's a very small rural type of village,、mm. right? The whole entire center of this rural village was a school,、um, and everything else was kind of around it. And actually, now talking about it, like you know, now that I work in a lot of、um, like development of rural villages and stuff like that, it really is a school that becomes the center of any village, and really becomes the fundamental thing that、mm-hmm. allows people to then build businesses and. Have the resources, right? I love that. Yeah,、so、around beautiful.、It. Thank you. And you are such、yeah. an edu- educator. I feel like that is just your passion, your heart to teach, to empower, to support others. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think so too. I um, I love what I do. I think um, teacher and a student. I love being a student because I don't believe that you know us as human beings ever stop growing. So always really important for me to also have coaches、mm-hmm. that know a lot more than me. Yeah, so it's beautiful, and I love that you just along the journey you throw yourself into one or another and another situation where、mm-hmm. you. I know you know you can do it, but I feel like part of you you just want to. Challenge yourself. See if you can rise above the occasion, and every single、mm-hmm. time you do. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Wen. I think you do too.、Um, I love that. I think I think I do the best that I can, and I really care about you know how well I do and、mm-hmm. perform at something because 
I, I always want to do my best, right? Because it's always giving. That's what I love. Giving. I love about Asian Asian American is that hustle, that spirit, mm-hmm. that fire in your heart. I can just see that. Absolutely. Thank so you. now tell us about your foundation. Now talk about now you travel yeah. the world. You mm-hmm. you serve different rural villages. You you see other beautiful girl or young kids. Mm-hmm. You know, what's next for you? So it was funny because um, you know six months after my first trip to. Nepal, or an earthquake hits, right? Mm-hmm. Damages nine thousand schools. Mm-hmm. At this time, I was teaching English in Nepal, and I remember hearing that. So for me, while I am very logic based, um, there was something that really called to me when that earthquake hit. I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like I can't believe this earthquake hit the country. Nine thousand schools were damaged. Twenty-two thousand lives, you know, were were injured. Nine thousand people dead." Um, and I saw these photos that were so disturbing. Like the houses, the streets were completely broken. People couldn't go to school. People couldn't go to work. Nothing. And I'm sitting there, and I was like, "This is devastating." You know, I can't believe nine thousand people died from this, right? And what I kept hearing from other people, um, you know, at the time, even my friends that were at the school in Thailand, they were like, you know, you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. And many people told me that. But there is something really within me that was just like, I can't not go. Mm. And so that's what I mean about really listening to that internal guidance. When you know, you know. And that's it. And I was like, okay, I just can't. There's no way that I can ignore this. And so I went to Nepal. It was three months after the earthquake. And I volunteered and I did everything. We did everything from like cleaning up rubble to building temporary schools, to rebuilding homes. Um, It it was, and then working in displacement camps. And the most, it was devastating in a sense, right? Because we were like shoveling up people's homes and they had worked their entire lives for everything. Mm -hmm. And I could see like the heartbreak in their eyes. Like the people were so hopeless. They had nowhere to go, no work, no school, because they couldn't get anywhere. They're, the roads were completely ruined. Houses had completely toppled over. And there we were trying to shovel up, you know, everything that someone had worked their entire lives for. You know, it, it was really, really a depressing time. Even working in the displacement camps, you know, like people had come down from the mountains in the Himalayas. They had no place to go. And they were living in these small little areas packed with hundreds of people. I mean, it was super muddy. It was monsoon season. We had put tents up. People were living in tents together with like 10 to 20 people in one tent. The the bathrooms weren't even real bathrooms. They were essentially, you know, going to the bathroom and then all of that would go into the ground where they were living. So essentially they were living within their feces. Mm. And we kept trying to dig and make these bridges to make it easier. Um, it was really depressing, um, but it also felt very meaningful. So I think the pivotal moment during my volunteering time was when I went to go rebuild these temporary schools in Nepal, and we were making them out of bamboo. And I remember carrying the bamboo over to uh, the area where we were building it outside of the broken school, and all these girls started showing up in these uniforms, and they were smiling, and they were laughing, and it was really like the first time that I ever saw like laughter for the entire time that I was volunteering there, and I, that was when like I really realized like the reason is because these girls are looking for a purpose, 
You know, they're looking for a real purpose in life. And education is what brought them that hope and that purpose in life. And so they were so excited to go, even though it wasn't, it wasn't built yet, you know. Wow. Yeah. And what's next? Um, so many. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. Yeah. Um, so what happened after is, you know, um, I decided to do a trek in the Himalayas during the time that I was volunteering. And I had just finished... Uh, my teaching in Thailand and I met this man named Tej BK and he told me about this school that he needed to rebuild Mm. and I was like you know you have the wrong person I'm just a traveler I don't know how to do this I can't do this let me try to connect you with other people that can help you and so that's what I did you know I connected him with you know organizations that I thought would rebuild a school but I think the country was just still so destructed uh, at that time. They were still working on rebuilding, like, you know, the main temples and um, rebuilding, like, the streets and government buildings. So no one really rep- replied to him because everyone needed help. Um, at this time, I had – I was dating this guy, um, my ex-boyfriend, um, and he had decided to travel with me. So he left his job. He was in engineering. Um, he left his job in the U.S. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to travel with you. You know, he had a great job. Um, and he wanted to go to Spain. So I was planning to go to Spain with him. And this man kept messaging me for six months. I still need help. I still need help. And I thought, okay, you know what? Nobody has stepped up to the plate. So let me go ahead and just help him with this one thing. Maybe it could just be rebuilding the wall, right? I don't necessarily have to rebuild the entire school. So that was what we did. We fundraised for the very first wall. um, And then from there, we led to rebuilding the entire school. How much it costs for a wall and a school in that country like that? So it depends what kind of building materials. Okay. This specific school Hopefully. was a reinforced concrete building. So we the wall was like 2000 wow. And then after that, we partnered with um, the same organization that I, par- that I volunteered in India. Mm-hmm. And that's when we rebuilt the school. And that was like a $25,000 project. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then, wow, what happened next? So I really started working in this school um, after that. I was living in Spain at the same time, and I was traveling to Nepal. And what I found out was that this specific area that I was working in was a slum village. Um, what essentially happened is many people who had lost their homes up in the Himalayas had then migrated into the city area of Pokhara, right outside of the outskirts. They couldn't afford to live inside, right, because it's very expensive. And a majority of Nepal, um, I think 80% of the population population live on $1.90 a day, which is below the international poverty line. So living in the city was just nearly impossible for them, right? They made $1.90 a day in the mountains. How could they possibly afford to live anywhere, you know, where it costs like at least a minimum of $300 a month for them to live within the city? So um, they ended up coming into these um, areas and just kind of residing there. And that's what creates slums. When people of, um, like, you know, of extreme poverty or from mountains or rural villages then migrate into the city areas hoping to find a new chance to life, right? And so we started um, working in the slum area. And it was one of the most difficult projects, to be completely honest. I took out one of the big most difficult projects very early on. What I mean by difficult is because the living conditions were so poor. There was like no food there. Uh, There was no water there. The streets were really unpaved. Um, People lived in like shacks and it was like entire families in one room. I mean, the streets were so dirty 
and kids were running around um, without any shoes. And the challenge is when you're coming from the rural villages, you haven't had an any education from the parents to the kids to any of them. So they don't know how to find resources for themselves. And the kids weren't going to school. They were running around in the slums all day without any shoes on. And so for me, I was like, how is it that kids could even grow here? There's not even a plant that grows here. And the logic is very simple, right? When you don't see, like, you don't see life. If a plant can't grow here, a plant can't grow here. How could a human being grow here? There's just no way. And I would hear a lot about deaths within this slum village after we rebuilt the school. Um, you know, maybe one to twice a month, they were like, oh, this person died and this person died. Oh, that's another dead person. And to me, I was just, you know, you hear about it so often, you're just kind of like, okay, you don't really know what to do, mm -hmm. but you're just hearing it. And, and it really... What was the moment you start want to start your foundation? Well, so at that point, I was just... Um, supporting mm -hmm. the organization hadn't been founded yet so one is tell us that bring that to that moment um so that moment you were in a tough situation supporting yeah. this project you see yeah. all the life in front of you that in in a challenging situation and you mm -hmm. that moment were you thinking that was that brought you to the foundation or how does that connect into what you are up to today so um it's really interesting because i began fundraising so when, when I heard that, like, my student's uncle had died, it really hit home for me. So I thought, okay, you know, we need to bring water to these er these areas. So I start fundraising some more. Mm. And then people started asking me for donation receipts. And I was like, huh? Donation receipts? You know? And I said, okay, I get it. And so I started to do some research. And I was like, yeah, you nice. know, I need to start an organization. I need to get 501c3 status. So that was how it all happened. Oh. I. And that's what I mean by kind of like following your heart and working it out with your mm. head. Because I think that we all have a very true calling. It wasn't like I was like, okay, I'm going to start a nonprofit or I'm going to travel and I'm going to start a nonprofit organization mm. and I'm going to do this. It was more like I followed my heart of what was needed, what I felt like was a true calling for me. I continued to do what I could to help other people. Mm. And then every time a problem came across, I created a solution, you know, by using, you know, obviously we used our head <laughs> to like solve, problem solve. And so that's when the organization founded. We, we started our work in, more in 2016, but we officially founded in 2017. Was that an exciting moment for you? Um, well, you know, like the interesting thing was um, I didn't have, I didn't know where I was taking the organization. At that time, I was like, I'm just kind of doing this. Like, I was really in research and R&D when I look back in it. I'm like, oh, that was really just R&D without realizing that it was R&D. Like, what I mean is, I was like, I'm just, I didn't think that I was going to scale it and build more schools. I just thought, I'm just trying to help people, mm -hmm. you know? I'm just doing whatever there is a need on. And that water system then led to, like, repaving the roads. And then it led to hosting women empowerment conferences and teaching the mothers entrepreneurship skills. Mm. And then, you know, the kids are so much older now, right? They're, like, five years older. They went from slum kids running around shoeless to now being really educated students, you know, refined and reformed in clean outfits with their hairs nicely cut. And they can speak English to me. And that was such a shock because not people know. A lot of kids in developing countries or in other countries rarely ever get to learn how to speak English. But we really put the time into um, their education, and we expanded from 30 students to 70 students. Our very first student is actually about to graduate from 
um, university. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, and she studied pharmaceuticals, and she plans to build a pharmacy in the slum area to benefit, you know, the people in this first school village. You know, so essentially, yeah, and and, and I think that's where the results are. It's Mm -hmm. really in the leadership of the students who Mm want to come and they want to give back. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And Wendy, so for all the listeners who are listening now, it's like so excited to hear the impact you have built. Tell us more about what exactly is your foundation, mm-hmm. what do you all do, and most importantly, how can we all help? Thank you. So Building Education is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to alleviate poverty by building schools that spark a legacy of change. Our mission is a 1,000 schools. And the reason why I say that, I know a 1,000 sounds like a lot to people, but 9,000 were damaged by the earthquake. And so 1,000, in my opinion, is you know, a little more than 10% of what the damage is done, right? And only 4,000 have been rebuilt. So essentially, we would love to expand to other parts, other developing countries as well. And that is where our intention is. But even if we were to just do the work in Nepal, there's still plenty of schools that need support out there plenty of schools that need to be rebuilt. So right now we are rebuilding our fourth and fifth school. We've been in two other villages, supported with water systems and playgrounds and are really working with um, the government to get good teachers and education in those schools. Mm -hmm. And we just um, took on our fourth school and then we just found our fifth and about five more that need to be rebuilt in that area. So there's a lot going on. um, And the organization just continue to grow and it was really from that very first school the first three years in R&D of really like finding out how to solve problems in a developing country and I realized wow what we created we need to take to other schools all over this world you know and and we can you know at this point and it's still a lot of learning um, to be completely honest you know how to re- how to build better how to build more efficiently how to build at a lower cost um, and something that will be sustainable for a long uh, for a longer amount of time but I think that we have built um, a really ga- good foundation for our organization to then be able to take it to other villages that need support all over the world Wow that's in- so incredible so you support organizations to build schools or do you build directly um, it's a little bit of both okay. so it really really depends you know mm-hmm. um we find partners in our countries that we can work with but it is a very collaborative process because mm-hmm. we'll look in and we'll say okay this is the type of building that we think that should we should be building and we've been changing up our building process so before um we built in a lot of different ways like reinforced concrete and then we did kind of like the old-fashioned nepal mm-hmm. way and we learned a lot more about building and we went to the government and learned from them so now moving forward we're looking to build um, more like eps panels prefab interlocking bricks things that involve a little bit more of technology mm. um, and are a bit in, more innovative and more sustainable, you know, cost-efficient, et cetera. Um, so when we work with our, with our partners in Nepal, it's really us saying, okay, what do you think the community needs? They'll assess the community. Um, and we do also vet all of our communities because I think not all communities are ready for it yet, 
right? Not necessarily ready for a school. So it, they, it has to check out a certain criteria of, you know, the poorest of the poor, suffering from multidimensional poverty, have um, no and is ready for a brand new school, right? Um, like have at least 100 students and they're going to make good use of the school. Sometimes they say, okay, this project might not be ready for school, but we're going to come back in three years and check again and you know, this time they may be ready for a school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually what happens. We tend to continue to work with communities until they are ready for it. I love that. Um, thank you. I think you still the engineer at heart. Now we <laughs> take your heart to Aww. build a beautiful school all around the world to support and empower those incredible young generations. So now they get a chance to truly step into their greatness, become yeah. a leader always meant to be. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, Wendy, you know, if people who want to support you and mm-hmm. that beautiful cause, causes, how do we support you? Where can we find that? Absolutely. So um, you can learn more about the organization on www.bebuildingeducation.org. You can also find us on Facebook under Building Education. Mm-hmm. And you can find us on Instagram at Building mm-hmm. Education. Um, yeah, or on LinkedIn as well. So we're always looking for volunteers, you know, and of course we can always um, get, you know, find different resources towards funding. Mm-hmm. Um, but volunteers, definitely. We're always looking for really great, bright minds that can support us in taking the organization to the next level and helping more people. I love that. Mm-hmm. So now you have traveled the world. Mm-hmm. Now you have found a foundation. Mm-hmm. Now you have built so many schools and empowered so many beautiful young minds. Do you feel like you found the meaning that you've been searching all along? I do really feel like this is my purpose and calling in life, uh, to be honest. And sometimes we're so afraid to make that jump of what our heart truly wants. And I think that um, for anybody contemplating that, at least the life that I live, is when you do follow your heart, you know, what comes back in return is you know, really finding what your true calling is Mm -hmm. and really listening to your internal guidance. Um, Yeah, I I do feel like this is my calling. And I feel like, to be honest, um, I feel like it's kind of my mother that really guided me onto this path. That's why I say her lessons or her, you know, she still teaches me about life to this very day. Because if it were not for her, I wouldn't be the path that I, I am on right now. And I still learned so much from that experience. And for the very first school that I built, that really was built in honor of my mother, leaving a legacy behind for her because she had sacrificed so much of her life for her children, you know, how much love she put into us and care. And she didn't really make a huge name for herself or wasn't able to leave a legacy behind, didn't leave an impactful like life, but her impact was us. As children, you know, and so now I get to also, you know, leave that legacy behind on behalf of her as her so daughter. It's so beautiful. It's like your mother gave you so much love and impacting you, shaping mm-hmm. you who you are today. Mm-hmm. And now you become a mother to all those beautiful kids from all over the world <laughs> who might never have a chance to, yeah. you know, be loved by others. And But you give them that, 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 that love, that hope. An opportunity through education. Absolutely. I think regardless of whether it's a personal tragedy or natural disaster, education is essentially what gives people hope and a second chance to life. I love that because I really believe that education is that that power, is that stepping stone to allow us to see the bigger world and explore who we really are, 
who you really wanted to become. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So with that, Wendy, wow, what a journey! Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, what's one advice, one tips you want to part with with our audiences as he or she maybe on this part part to explore who they are, mm-hmm. or exploring if they should really take on entrepreneurship or mm-hmm. founding a, a cause that really dear to their heart. Mm-hmm. What would you share with her or him if they are on the path just like you? Well, I believe in an abundance mindset. Right, and a lot of times people don't do the things that they want to do out of fear. So my whole, you know, um, if I were to say anything, my whole theory of life is really to follow your heart, and then create the solutions to make it work with your head. Um, so what I would say is really just to follow your heart and know that the universe is there to support your dreams, and. You know, even if you fear, oh, if I'm going to travel, how am I going to make money? You know, oh, I'm going to travel, how am I going to do this? There is always a solution to that, and we have the power and the answers from within us. So believe in yourself, have confidence in yourself, and to follow your heart and know that you can find a solution for any of the obstacles that may you may come across in order to accomplish that dream. Wow. Wendy, I want to acknowledge you for the courage, mm-hmm. for the intentionality, and for such a big heart that you have. Thank you. I mm-hmm. it's so marvel to see the journey unfold and how you truly follow that love, that light in your heart every step along the way. You throw yourself into one project after another that could be challenging at time, could maybe scare you a little, but you always rise up in your education every single time you deliver above and beyond. Oh, thank and you! And today you step in such a big and global stage, allowing through the foundation impacting the schools, the community, the girls and boys and young minds from all over the world. And I could not wait to see the day when a thousand school was built. I could not oh, wait to see, you. you know, when all those beautiful, amazing, amazing young kids and growing to the leader. And I know that it is going to be a better world when that yeah. day happens. Thank you. And I love, you know, if not now, when? <laughs> now is the best time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, truly, thank you so much, Wendy, for being here. Sure, that story is so, so heartfelt, so beautiful, and I'm. I I just literally imagine and picture when you said you bring that bam- bamboo material build that first school because on my on my personal vision board I literally have this picture of me building a school one day for all the girls and when you sh- share that I just felt it's so beautiful and I love that every step along the way I I, I can only imagine none of this is easy none of mm-hmm. it was was uh, so uh, rainbow and sunshine and yeah <laughs> but you did it you did it. All along the way, and most importantly, you become the change you want to see in the world, and that's such inspiration to me, and I'm, I'm sure for many of our listeners today. So truly, thank you for being here. Thank you for shining your light. Thank you for having me, Wen. I'm I'm so like um, excited and grateful to have met you. You are an incredible human being, and I'm honored to be a guest on your podcast. If not now, when? <laughs> well, with that, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for also mm-hmm. listening today. We are so so excited! Wow, what a beautiful journey! I hope you enjoyed it as mm-hmm. much as I do, mm-hmm. and I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys! Bye. Mm-hmm.